In today's episode, I spoke with Ben Billups about growing new email lists from scratch and existing email lists into multi-million dollar cash machines. Ben is a two-time startup founder and has done over 26 million in email and SMS revenue. So let's dive right into this. So Ben, if you wouldn't mind just kind of walking us through really briefly what your careers kind of look like and how that's led you to what you're focusing on right now. Absolutely. So my background is pretty unconventional um, in the sense that, you know, straight out of college, I started working at a string of different startups in a variety of different industries. And really my intention during that period of time was just to see a lot of different environments, work on a lot of different teams, get perspective in a lot of different industries. And um, sort of a byproduct of that was like a really cross-functional perspective. And really for several years there, I was a generalist. Um, you could say maybe a digital marketing generalist. You know, very oftentimes I would be on a team, you know, one-man band, handling everything, trying to drive growth, trying to do go-to-market, trying to help these startups launch, et cetera. And um, then kind of had this pivot point in my career where I worked for a very large e-commerce brand, um, you know, got referred to the job. And when I got hired, very much felt like I didn't belong there because it's like, okay, this is an eight-figure e-commerce brand, never even touched e-commerce before and was brought in to run their email and SMS marketing and handle a little bit of their CRO as well. And uh, between my work and the work of a buddy of mine who was doing all their digital advertising, we saw some really tremendous growth for them. Um, that ultimately led to uh, a private equity acquisition um, of that brand in addition to a, a professional sort of a B2B side of the business as well. So that was kind of the nexus point for me where I really landed on something that I thought, okay, this is something that I enjoy. This is something that I'm good at. This is an area where I can see myself really specializing. And up until that point, I hadn't really hit on anything where it's like, yeah, sure, I, I enjoy doing these things, but I hadn't hit something that I was really passionate about. And these days it's just gotten bigger and bigger. My passion for, I call, I refer to them often as owned audiences um, because I really view email and SMS marketing as assets within a business that you can build and leverage and that compound over time. Um, so that's kind of the, the big picture thinking there. Let, let's dive into that owned audiences piece. I think that's becoming more popular and more known now that uh, social channels can gobble up your audience at any point if they want to algorithmically or the platform could just go away entirely. Whereas with an email list, it's a little bit more sustainable. Dive a little bit more into your thinking there for brands in particular, the importance and power of an owned audience versus just renting on channels. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and just to touch on what you're saying there with re a rented audience, really my perspective on the big difference is if you're relying on an advertising platform, or let's say, for example, you're very dependent on Amazon sales um, or even influencer deals. Those are all things that I would consider rented audiences where you just don't have control over the audience um, and you have less control over distribution to those audiences and it can be more expensive, right? And then owned audiences, I mean, the, it can take a variety of forms, but broadly speaking, the, typically it means your email list, your SMS list, your customer data, et cetera. Yeah, so I think the... There's multiple benefits to creating or growing your owned audience. Um, one is that you can generally reach that audience for pennies on the dollar. So the expense of reaching that audience through an email service provider, through an SMS provider, uh, is generally very inexpensive. And that's why, you know, the stat that you typically hear is that email marketing has an ROI of 36 or 41, right? Like obscenely high ROI. So investing in that channel and basically accumulating as much data as possible 
that basically just expands your ability to work within those high, high ROI channels. The, some of the underrated benefits are that you can also use that data to create leverage across your marketing channels. So probably the most typical version of this is using data that you have to model audiences on Meta, Google, uh, I, I believe TikTok has lookalikes now. So all these different advertising platforms, you can improve and generally create pretty high ROI audiences by modeling based on your data. Um, and then beyond that, I mean, there's, there's kind of two ways to look at it when you're really even just talking about it as an asset within the business, because data is an asset and essentially like data is the asset that even these advertising platforms sell. So when you get on an advertising platform and you say, I would like to target people who are interested in purchasing supplements, the only way that those platforms have that data is because they've been collecting it based on interest targeting conversions from other brands, et cetera. And then they're basically selling it back to you. So having that asset within your business can also have an impact on your valuation if you're ever going to sell. And that includes in a best case scenario and a worst case scenario. So even just imagine your you know, business is going well, maybe you're being acquired by private equity, whatever the case may be. The difference between having 100,000 emails and two or 3 million emails, right? That's going to change the valuation. And then on the flip side of that, worst case scenario, if you're basically trying to avoid bankruptcy and actually um, Bandier just did this, the activewear brand. So they had to, in order to avoid filing for bankruptcy, they're essentially selling their assets, which included their customer data. So it essentially it's like, no matter what happens, you can't lose by putting priority on collecting data and finding ways to leverage it. Well, so you've, there are two kind of different pillars here that I want to treat separately. So there's subscriber growth and then there's revenue growth on the subscriber side. You've seen you know, taking a brand from a few thousand subscribers to a few million on the revenue side, you've seen, you know, 5xing revenue through email. So you've kind of seen both of those, but let's talk subscriber growth first and tr treat that a little separately. And then we can mesh them together a little bit. So for brands that are kind of trying to reverse engineer what success you've seen at the different brands you've worked with building an email list, what are kind of the, the starting points that you would look at if you were really kind of starting from scratch or with a very small list that you would really focus on? And what's kind of the milestone that you would be looking to hit with that? Yeah. So, I mean, the biggest thing is to basically collect as much as you can, especially when you're smaller. And I know you can get into a variety of different strategies. Um, you know, where, and, and actually this comes up a lot when you're talking about opt-in units on the website, right? There's a big debate between essentially, should we do low intent offers like giveaways where maybe we collect a few more emails, but we're not necessarily driving more sales, right? Or should we do higher intent offers like a coupon code, right? And I think the, the value of that, it really depends on the business and it depends on how much short-term versus long-term revenue that you're looking for it in which direction that you go. The first thing I would do, and what a lot of websites don't put enough emphasis on is it having great opt-in units with a great opt-in offer. So I would say, especially if your list is small, I would focus on lower intent offers like giveaways or free resources where you can collect more emails of people, even if they have a passing interest, having that email within your database gives you the opportunity to nurture them and potentially convert them later, even if they're not ready to buy in the next seven to 14 days, 30 days, et cetera. So it depends on how you wanna prioritize that. But if you're dealing with a small list, Generally speaking, it's just prioritization of, um, of collection. And then there is a variety of tools that you can use as well. Um, obviously you could do paid lead generation, which can get expensive. It just depends on how you want to budget for that. That can go well, uh, depending on how you structure it. 
There's also a, a slew of these new identity resolution tools that help you convert your web traffic into email addresses in your database. Um, I've seen great success with those personally. Uh, there's a few different vendors in the space. Uh, the, the key there is just to basically, you want to be a little bit more careful with how you handle the emails on the other side, because it's not technically an opt-in. And generally these tools are US only because it's can spam compliant, but not GDPR compliant. Uh, so you want to be aware of different privacy regulations in that regard. Uh, and then beyond that, and this is something we could talk more about, but you can get into essentially purchase data and cold audiences, but that's very much like a, don't try this at home, work with a professional, handle with care, make sure you're doing lots of processing and segmenting of that data prior to using any of it. So generally speaking, I don't recommend that anyone deals with purchase data unless they really know what they're doing or they're working with someone who does. So focusing on, you know, lead generation, good opt-in units, identity resolution, those tend to be healthy sources uh, to grow your list. And generally speaking, if we're working with a brand, so let's take an e-commerce brand, for example, we're looking for at least 40 or 50,000 active email subscribers in order to determine if they have the critical mass where we know we could come in and provide disproportionate value with our strategies. Uh, that's generally the kind of the tipping point uh, for smaller brands. And it does vary business to business. So let's, let's assume that you have in this scenario, a free resource, you're going to kind of go lower intent, like you said, and you've got the right resource. Your conversion rate's not all that bad, but maybe you're actually having problem on the traffic side of this, just getting people coming in. What are the traffic sources that you found to be particularly reliable for converting into email subscribers and actually staying active? Yeah, from a traffic perspective, it really, it really varies. At the end of the day, it, if the, that's going to impact your opt-in unit conversion rate more than anything. If someone is high intent enough that they're opting in, generally speaking, the lead quality is going to be solid, if that makes any sense. So it's more about if you're evaluating different traffic sources in terms of its conversion rate on a pop-up. I mean, generally, if you're driving cold traffic, it really just depends on how you're generating that traffic. If you're doing cold traffic through advertising, and maybe you're seeing a low conversion rate there, that could have to do with your ad targeting. But I've seen that work well, right? Generally speaking, organic traffic is going to be your best source of traffic, which makes sense. That can be direct or through a variety of different SEO efforts. And that's even a strategy that I've seen more and more brands talking to us about in the sense of they're actually foregoing advertising in its entirety. They're leveraging a bunch of these new AI technologies to drive SEO traffic, then leveraging identity resolution tools to collect emails from that traffic and then doing conversions. And all of that is like, it's generally a very, it, it's a, it's a longer play. So it's not like a, you turn the ads on and you start to see orders come in, but it's a very high ROI play. And if you're sort of using the right tools and you know what you're doing in terms of generating that traffic, um, it can be, it can be very effective, but I will say it's, that's still like a super experimental space. So we're, we're in conversations with a few different brands about exploring that, but I can't speak to the, uh, the direct results. So going from, let's say. 20K to 200K, that, in theory, that sounds great. If you've got 200K subscribers, you have 10X to your list. Uh, I think we, we could, uh, we assume that like, okay, I've got 10 times as many subscribers. I'm going to make 10 times as much money, which can be true, but you also have to execute on that through your emails and, and probably change up your strategy a little bit, I'm guessing between 20K and 200K or, or beyond that. What, what do you think? emails should look like, how should they look differently when you start hitting 
above 100,000 to a million subscribers as opposed to when you're just starting out so that you can actually kind of keep scaling the revenue and the value you're providing. So the big thing there is there isn't necessarily like we will implement, honestly, very similar strategies for a smaller brand that we will for a bigger brand because of the way that we structure the audiences um, and the way that we rotate segments. So let's say, for example, you create we this is what we typically do. We'll go in, we'll create your regular engagement segments. So maybe a 30 day clicker, 30 day opener, a 60 day, a 90 day and 180 day. Um, and so the difference is with a smaller list, those segments are going to be really tiny segments um, of your total active audience. And for some, those, those segments will be so small that even with a great click-through rate, it's not enough volume to actually expect any conversions, right? So you have to take that into account where maybe you're incorporating more full list sends and your frequency is lower. And then as the list grows, you're essentially segmenting more religiously. Um, I would say the send frequency is actually higher. So you're sending more content, um, but you're also keeping a close eye on all your KPIs and rotating your segments very regularly uh, based on performance. So let's say, and this is, here's a great example of kind of a, a cadence strategy that we'll use for promotions. If you think of kind of like an infinity symbol, that's almost, that, that's how I like to think about it in terms of a model for how to do a promotional cadence. So let's say you have a start date and end date of a promotion. At the beginning of the promotion, you'll start with a fairly broad audience. So in some cases that could even be 180 day engagers, right? So you're announcing the beginning of a promotion. Then as you're sending repeated messages, you're scoping those segments smaller and smaller and smaller. So only if somebody's hyperactive on your list, are they receiving a very high frequency of communications? And then as a promotion is closing, you're basically leveraging that urgency and sending to larger segments again towards the end of the promotion. That's a formula that we've seen work very well for a variety of different brands um, with a variety of different list sizes. Uh, but it, it, and then I think outside of that, the big thing that we see a lot of brands not doing is leveraging high intent automation. So, I mean, you've got your standard, especially in the e-commerce space, for example, you've got your abandoned checkout, abandoned cart, some browse abandonment, but we, it's very frequent that we'll audit an account and we'll see, you know, two or three different automations when we'd actually recommend a stack of 12 to 15 different automations, all segmenting and targeting and sending communications based on a user's expressed intent from monitored behavior. So that could either be opens or clicks like with an email, if they're clicking on specific collections or behavior on the website that you're able to track through a cookie or an identity resolution tool and using those behaviors as the triggers for communication, that tends to be your highest ROI. Um, and so, and you can design that differently for each brand based on different points of the customer journey that you want to identify and target. What are, what are some of those automations more specifically? Um, don't have to go through all 12, 15 of them, but maybe some of the less common, like, no, duh, you should be doing these, but most people aren't automations. Well, at, oddly enough, one that we see a lot is that in Clavio, they label, there's a template for one that they label abandoned cart that's actually abandoned checkout. And you have to manually install a cookie in order to target abandoned cart. So generally speaking, those abandonment automations are going to be your highest revenue per recipient. So you're looking for site abandonment. So that's somebody came to a homepage. They didn't view a collection or a product or anything, right? You could send them follow-up messaging. And again, basically the, the level to which the content is 
based on direct response versus content. It basically gets more and more uh, as you go down the, the list, but you've got, you can do site abandonment, collection abandonment, product abandonment, card abandonment, and then checkout abandonment. Um, those, that's like a, a very high revenue stack that really anybody can implement pretty easily. And then beyond that, there's a variety of different post-purchase automations you can implement. And some of this will vary based on how broad a brand's catalog is. Um, but especially after someone buys a product, let's say someone purchased, let's say you have three hero products, right? Three of your products are making up north of 60, 70% of your total revenue, right? It's like, well, you can set up a pretty simple automation where if somebody bought one hero product and they didn't buy another and they're related, it's not just that they're completely unrelated products, but that would essentially be a cross sell. You're basically cross promoting your hero products just based on whether or not somebody purchased one of the other ones. Uh, and obviously like you can, it can get way more complex than that, but even just setting that up in a simple way, you're getting orders in the door. You'll start to see those automations fire off and you'll start to see revenue come through them, uh, pretty quickly after that. As we kind of wrap up here, last question around email marketing, kind of tying this up with a bow as you've worked with many different brands yourself, starting your own businesses or, or working with others, I'm sure that you've seen a lot of mistakes, a lot of stuff. And, and heard a lot of quote unquote facts that you don't actually agree with. So I'm curious what the most common beliefs are that you actually think are myths within email marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Though, frankly, the, the biggest one is that it's a, oh, this is a channel that we'll prioritize later. So it's like right now we want to scale with ads, right? We're going to invest a ton of money into ads. And again, probably a good idea. But the, I see this thinking a lot where, they go, okay, we're going to start with ads. We're going to scale up. And then we're going to, you know, look into, they view email and SMS as like retention and lifecycle marketing instead of like a necessary part of capture and acquisition and getting someone across the finish line. So it's like this, you know, if you're doing advertising and you have a very limited or sort of waning strategy for email and SMS, you may be getting tons of add to carts and add to, and like they reach checkout and they're abandoning and maybe the retargeting advertising isn't converting them, but the email could. So it's really viewing that as a holistic picture and doing full implementation up front, because as you do that as well, when you're driving that ad traffic, you're collecting more emails off of that traffic. So I always say start as soon as possible, not saying hire an expert as soon as possible, but at least have a couple of the core automations, a good opt-in unit, you know, a couple of tools here and there, at least set those things up and let them run uh, and, and you'll see a lot of revenue. Um, and that actually addressed the second one as well, which is you hear a lot, especially in the e-commerce space where marketers will refer to themselves as a retention marketer or a lifecycle marketer. I personally don't refer to myself that way because email and SMS marketing, and specifically email, can actually operate at any level of the funnel, right? If you're, if you're leveraging identity resolution, that's basically mid-funnel. If you're leveraging purchase data, that's top of funnel, where it's like you're basically skipping advertising and a variety of other steps. And again, don't try that at home. But you can, there's a lot of middle and bottom of funnel strategies where it's not just somebody purchased a product and now let's nurture the relationship with them. That's important. But the email and SMS can be so much more than that uh, for building relationships with prospects and driving conversions. Uh, the other big myth that I see is that contacts that open your emails are reading them. That's not the case. Um, in a lot of cases, contacts are opening your emails for just a few seconds and then they're moving on to the next email. So I think it's important, especially when you're crafting email and SMS content to view it more like an advertisement in a feed 
you have a little bit more buy-in with the clicking and the opening and whatnot, but you still really have three to five seconds to capture someone's attention with a clear call to action showing above the fold on mobile, a clear offer, a, a subject line that sparks curiosity. You want to really treat that content as performance marketing content and not just somebody's got to open our newsletter and read this 500 word thing that we wrote to them. That could be a good idea sometimes, but in many cases, you can improve performance by treating it more like an ad. Um, and then, yeah, the last myth I would say is that you can only market with opt-ins, especially if you're in the US, there are a variety of options outside of opt-ins where you can grow your list rapidly. And this is, these are strategies that we've developed specifically actually with news publishers we work with where they're essentially trying to scale their newsletter list rapidly. And we've done that successfully into the millions um, purely with cold data, but you just need an in-depth understanding of email deliverability. You need good processes for handling your data, uh, for essentially filtering out the bad stuff very quickly. But at the end of the day, there are more options on the table than just lead generation and pop-ups and checkout opt-ins.